You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, happy Easter. Man, what a way to celebrate. Um, man, it's beautiful seeing the ones helped baptize those who were critical in walking them through the early, their early faith in Christ. Well, I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, and I have the joy and privilege of telling you all about Jesus this morning. Today, all around the world, people are celebrating Jesus. They're celebrating and acknowledging his resurrection because they believe something about Jesus. But my question to you today is going to be this. What is it that you believe about Jesus? Within your heart today, what is it exactly that you believe? And for those who are doubters, what is it that you doubt? What is it that you don't? believe. God isn't intimidated by your skepticism. And to be honest, he only saves skeptics, atheists, and doubters. He can handle your honesty much better than than you can. I'm glad you're here today, regardless of what you believe to be true about Jesus. I'm thrilled that you're here with us. You know, the origin of, of Easter is at the very heart of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of this earth. More paintings have been painted of Jesus, more songs sung about Jesus, more books written about Jesus than any other person throughout all of history. In fact, Jesus is the kindest person as well. It took a lot of work to not get along with Jesus. It's true that he performed many miracles and he was a highly respected teacher. And it's true that he claimed to be from God, that he was God's child. He even said he was his son. But what really separates Jesus is that not that he claimed to be from God, but that he claimed to be God. Muhammad said, I don't know the purpose of life. Buddha said, seek for the truth. Confucius said, I'm not the way. But Jesus shows up and says, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. And in fact, no one gets to the Father, God, the creator of all things, except through me. And you can visit the tombs of these other men. And what separates Jesus from many others, though, is that his tomb is famous for what you can't find there. See, Jesus healed hundreds of people. He fed thousands of people. He was so generous and kind and gentle, specifically to those who got beat up by society. He offered hope and healing. He cared and served for so many people. Yet in spite of all these wonderful things about Jesus, he was arrested. He was beaten many, many times. He was treated horribly. He was mocked. He was hated and he was rejected. And he died on a criminal's cross. The Bible tells us that Jesus wasn't just a good guy dying a bad death. The Bible is very clear about the significance and importance of that particular death for you and for me, that it was part of God's design and plan. But do you believe it? And what is it that you believe about Jesus? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did so out of his power and out of his might, out of his brilliance and through his word. Radically majestic and abounding in glory, our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit spoke into the void of nothingness. He spoke into the darkness of non-creation and he created all things. God spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light and life began. 
creation started bearing fruit and multiplying. And as a part of the marvelous creation, God uniquely designed, fashioned, formed, and created mankind, you and me. You see, mankind was created in his image for his purposes. Mankind was, was created to be the children of God, to know him not just as creator, but to know God uniquely and especially as father, the familial and one of the particularly unique characteristics of mankind is that God created mankind to be satisfied and fulfilled in him alone. Unlike other things of creation that can find fulfillment and other things, mankind can only truly be fulfilled in a personal relationship with God as their creator and father. And apart from this relationship, mankind is ever on a search. They're searching for contentment, satisfaction, and peace within, down deep where it matters most. This is simply the work of the great designer. This is the way that God created you and me for that longing to have a relationship with him. But rather than listening to the voice of God, their father, mankind, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they chose to listen to the voice of the great anti-God, the great deceiver, the devil himself. And the deceiver shows up in the form of a serpent. You might remember this story in the Garden of Eden. He shows up there in the garden and he speaks his word and the mankind believes it. And that's where everything goes wrong. Every source of your frustration, sadness, and brokenness, all things that have ever happened that haven't been perfectly good and helpful can find its home at that very moment there in the garden. Every harmful thing that you've ever caused, all the harmful things that have been done to you, all of this can trace its source to this very moment in the garden. Mankind believed the voice of the great deceiver rather than the great creator. Mankind chose to do their own thing in their own way rather than submit to God and do God's thing in his way. That's what sin always is. Sin is not doing or being what God requires. And, and sin is believing that, that there's lasting fulfillment and peace and satisfaction, not in believing God's word, but believing the deceiver's word, which is often, it sounds very familiar to the voice within. See, God's word brings life and clarity and hope, but the deceiver's word brings death, confusion, and hell. Sin is essentially believing that we can do our own thing in our own way rather than submitting to God and trusting God and doing his thing in his way. Doing God's thing in God's way is part of what brings peace and meaning to our lives. It doesn't make things easy. Often becoming a Christian brings some complexity to life. But it does bring peace within and through knowing God and through uh, obeying his word, we get to discover satisfaction and contentment, a purpose and a meaning. We get to learn more of our worth. Nowhere else can this be truly and fully discovered, quite like in a relationship with God. This is only discovered, in fact, through knowing God and believing him and taking him at his word. Well, as man rebelled against God, man became eternally uh, separated and disqualified from a relationship with God. Creator is torn from creation, separated. The children of God, as they were designed to be, have become eternally and forever separated from God. They're now strangers to hope. Uh, they're orphaned. They're without God in their life. But when you think about it, essentially, 
Mankind's rebellion gives mankind exactly what they wanted, to do life on their own, away from God, separated from him, to make the calls for their own life, to have things their own way, and to shoulder the responsibility, the sole responsibility of the consequences of their actions. But after going down this road, just for a short amount of time, mankind quickly discovered what a mistake that was, what a horrific decision this was. Instantly, mankind is lonely. You can read about this in Genesis 3. Instantly, mankind is lonely, afraid, guilty, runs and hides, covers, there's shame. All of this is after sin. All of this came as a result of sin. And man is left with this void so great within that it makes our large canyons look tiny in comparison. This void within is something that that every man, woman, boy, and girl struggle to figure out. No matter how hard we try, we can't ever do enough to fix this void and this longing. This, it gnaws at us. Something's not right. We can have it all. Just like Jim Carrey, the comedian, the actor, he said before, I wish every man and woman in the world could have all the money they ever wanted so they could see that it's not the answer. You see, we run after so many things, and yet it doesn't fulfill the longing in our heart. We jump from friendship to friendship, from car to car to house to house, job to job, raise to promotion, on and on and on, and it's never enough. It's never enough. So there's man, afraid and struggling with this void, separated from God and disconnected from Creator. Hope is gone. Guilt remains. Fear is ever-present but contentment is absent. Indeed, it's true what we learn in Romans 6.23, the wages, the price of sin is, is death. And it's common to all of us as Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam and Eve, and then death came to us through sin, so death spread to all men because this is common to us all. We've all sinned. But out of grace and love, <clears throat> God offers mankind a way back into some sort of relationship with him. So long as mankind keeps all the rules, is faithful to all the covenants, holds up and obeys all the laws, fulfills all the requirements, and obeys all the commandments. When they failed in sin, they had to make a sacrifice or else judgment would come on them. But if they offered a sacrifice, judgment would come on the sacrifice. And that's only when you knew you messed up. Think of all the times you didn't know that you messed up. And yet that guilt still remained on your life. So there was this sin and sacrifice, sin and sacrifice, sin and sacrifice, this savage cycle, sin and sacrifice. Never enough, really, to permanently take care of mankind's sin problem. It will be so exhausting. You know, it's like, it's like living a six-day week with no Sabbath rest. Just work, 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 work. We're just wanting that seventh day to rest, but we're stuck because of sin working six days, six days, six days, longing for rest. Mankind could never be perfect enough or good enough to be at peace. There would always be that fear of, am I doing it right? Did I do it right? Am I keeping up? Am I going fast enough? Am I doing it right? Am I, am I doing enough? Should I be trying harder? Am I better than the next person? Am I all right? Is God mad? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, then out of grace and love throughout human history, you can find this in your Old Testament, God pursues mankind through prophets, priests, judges, and kings. Now, all these are but shadows of the greatest prophet and the great high priest and the perfect just judge and the true eternal king, Jesus the Christ. All these lead up to the arrival of the most epic of all superheroes, the arrival of the savior of mankind, Jesus the Christ. 
In the most unthinkable of action, God loved that world of haters and rebels, those who doubted and were skeptical, those who were opposed to God and all things that are good. God's heart went out to them so that if any one of them would simply believe in him, they wouldn't die, which would be just for them to die for their sin, but they would instead receive grace and live forever. As Galatians 4 tells us that God then sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the weight of the law, in order to redeem those who were under the weight of the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters, so that we could be adopted back into the family of God because we were orphaned because of our sin. So out of grace and love, God sent his one and only son into the world to permanently reunite us and adopt us back into friendship, relationship with him. And that void is now taken care of. And there's peace. You see, Jesus shows up, but he grew up before us kind of like a, a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have really no form or majesty that we would look at him, really no beauty that we would desire him. In fact, Jesus was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man that was acquainted well with grief. And as one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised. And yet we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. The sorrows that he was carrying. The man of sorrows, that was our sorrows. And yet we didn't thank him, acknowledge him. We didn't esteem him as, as worthy and beautiful. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our sins and transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and sins. It wasn't his. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. Your healing, his wounding. His wounding, your healing. Now all of us, we're like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone, just like Adam and Eve, to his own way, doing his own thing. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then we learn about in Philippians 2 that Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God in eternity, past and future, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be held onto and leveraged. But instead he emptied himself of this by taking on the form of a servant. Now here's the extent of the form of a servant that he, he became. He submitted to being creation as he was the creator. You can remember that in Colossians chapter 1. Is he was in the beginning with God. Before, him, before all things, Jesus was. And yet he takes on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then being found in human form, he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even more so, death on a cross, a criminal's cross. He came to fulfill the law, the rules, the covenants, the commandments, and all the requirements that you and I could never fulfill, that we could never keep. He did this by living a completely perfect life. He did this by being the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. He permanently has taken care of our sin problem. You remember sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. Jesus shows up, it's sin, sacrifice, sin, savior. It's taken care of. The cycle's done. It's, it's no more. He's permanently fulfilled all the righteous requirements that we are to fulfill, he does for us through his perfect life and through his death 
on the cross. He wasn't a mere man. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb of God who has now taken care of all the sin of the world. His slaughtering is our atoning. He was perfect and he was good enough for us so that now you and I can be forgiven and we can be at peace with God and we can be reconciled back into relationship with God. You see, Jesus lived perfectly without sin for you. He died on the cross as your substitute in order to love you, forgive you, and redeem you. It's true what we learn about in Luke 19.10, that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. Not the first, the fastest, or the best. He came to seek the lost. And that's you, and that's me. God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn or shame the world further, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And Christ suffered once the righteous... For us, the unrighteous, so that he might bring us back to God, so that he might reconcile us back into the relationship with God. This is what he did. So the cross, the the grave, and death, this is what we all deserve. Yet Jesus experienced all of this as us and for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. We might become good enough to now be back into a relationship with God, the righteous requirement being met for us, as us, in spite of us. And there's no distinction. All of us have sinned. All of us has fallen short of the glory of God, the righteous requirement. But we are also justified by his grace, not something that you earn, but something that's given to you as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth beforehand as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. He put him forth as our propitiation, our wrath absorber, our blame taker, the responsibility shoulderer. He took it upon himself so that you don't have to. That's why he can say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's easy because he took ours, which was heavy and exhausting and impossible. He took care of something that you could never take care of yourself if you would simply believe. You see, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross was a part of our redemption. But what sealed the deal and what guarantees all of God's promises for us who believe is the fact that the death of Jesus, it wasn't the end of Jesus. Jesus beat death. He beat it with a stick. And he absolutely and totally, he conquered death completely. And he lives and he's with us today. He's with us today and he's never going to not be with us. He's present and one day we will see him face to face. We know it's true from Romans chapter 8:34 that Christ Jesus is the one who died. Don't stop there. He's also the one who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed working for us right now. He's interceding for us. You don't a dead person doesn't intercede. That's work. It takes thinking, doing, and he's interceding for us right now, thinking, doing on our behalf. He's alive. He lives. Our Savior is alive. And it's like the resurrection was God's way of stamping across all of human history so you wouldn't miss it and that I wouldn't miss it, that everything's been paid in full, completely taken care of, and that you can trust this man, Jesus the Christ. And we know, amen. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead, he'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, three days after his death on the cross, Jesus binds sin, rendering it powerless. He crushes the skull of the great deceiver, and Jesus powerfully kills death itself, and he lays all of it, death, Satan, and sin, in the grave. And by doing so, Jesus transforms death from the eternal end that it once was to a mere ride into eternal life. 
right? Death is now just a door into greater life for the one who believes. But for the one who does not believe, death is just the beginning of the eternal punishment and death and torment that's in front of you. Those who believe, you eternally live. Those who do not believe, you eternally die. The difference, though, between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ, the difference between those who step into eternal life and those who step into eternal death, the only difference, the only difference is that those who step into eternal life believe Jesus Christ. They trust God and they trust his word. They listen to his word, unlike our first parents in the garden. When one believes Jesus As God gives them the faith to do so, God makes them alive on the inside. Where there was once death, there's now life. Where there was once doubt, there's now faith. Where there was once fear, there's now peace. Where there was once guilt for sin, there is now forgiveness and confidence and boldness because of the Savior. And as you believe, God creates life within your cold heart. He creates life within your hateful, doubting, skeptical soul. He creates life in your soul through his power and his might and his brilliance and through the very commandment of his spoken word. Just as in the beginning when God said, let there be light, he speaks into your heart saying, let there be life. Radically majestic, abounding in glory, our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit speaks into the void of nothingness of your soul. He speaks into the darkness of the despair that we all carry deep within us. He creates life there within us. And we experience a satisfaction as we live on the inside, as we begin to come alive on the inside, as we experience soul rest. We experience that Sabbath day within and that contentment in God alone. And now that we have this personal relationship with God, our creator, we get to taste contentment. We discover our meaning. We gather more of our purpose of why we're here anyway. And we have that peace within regardless of what the world does around us. There's this peace and confidence within. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've got peace with God. But it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And the song of the Christian is, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so this restored and reconciled relationship that we have with God gives us hope and meaning and rest and comfort and peace and purpose and felt worth. You ever wondered, like, am I worth something? You experience knowing that, knowing I've got purpose, knowing I've got meaning, knowing I'm not an accident just a clump of sails walking around, knowing that I matter, we find that in the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All this is yours. All this is completely yours. Everything's been taken care of. You just have to believe it's done. That's it. There's no heavy lifting. There's no doing. There's just looking at Jesus. If there's walking or climbing involved, it's just falling in his direction. You don't have to take a step. There's no climbing of a ladder. He did all the work necessary. You just look and believe. Now, I'm not asking if your spouse believed this, but I am asking if you believe this. I'm not asking if your brother or sister believes this to be true. I'm asking if you believe this to be true. I'm not asking if if your grandma believes this. I'm not asking about the hatred that you've had towards God over the years. I'm not asking if a particular church really hurt you and disappointed you. I'm not asking about the doubts that you've had about Jesus. 
I'm asking right now, if in this very moment, if you feel something down deep in your heart through hearing the word preached this morning, the gospel, through witnessing it, through baptism, through hearing it through song, in a moment sharing it through the Lord's table of sacrament, I'm asking if this morning, if you're believing something about Jesus, even if just barely, because it doesn't take great faith. Jesus says it takes just a tiny little piece of faith. And he pointed out a mustard seed, a very small seed. It takes a mustard seed of faith. Is God giving that to you this morning? Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus? I'm not asking how many times you've gone to church. I'm not asking how many Christian songs you've got memorized or listened to. I'm not asking how many times you've taken communion or mission trips you've gone on or how many times you've read through the Bible or how much money you've given to the church. I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking how religious you are. I'm not asking about your language or words you choose to use. I'm not asking about your driving habits and how angry you might get. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking how many sermons you've listened to. And be reminded, Judas heard every one of Jesus's. I'm asking if you believe Jesus Christ. I'm asking if you trust God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm asking if you trust him and his word. I'm asking, are you a Christian? Have, are you saved? Have you been saved? Have you been made alive on the inside where it wasn't your fault? It was just the miracle of God in your life. And every day since then, you've woken up a Christian. You've woken up concerned for the things of God. Have you been made alive? Are you a Christian? I'm asking this morning if you would willingly humble yourself and ask God for faith to believe him. I'm asking if you've experienced having your sins forgiving and, and having that guilt removed through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm asking if Jesus is your Lord, your master, your savior. I'm not asking if you like him. I'm not asking you to give me facts about Jesus. I'm asking if you believe him. Is your heart warmed by the things of God? When you hear the name Jesus, does it do something in your heart? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Beyond facts, beyond knowledge, is something in your heart, this distance from here? We know a lot, but has it dropped down here? It's like putting coins in those old Coke machines. Those who are older than me know what I'm talking about. You put coins in. And the coin return thing, no one was ever strong enough to actually pull that down. I'm convinced. But you remember, you would put coins in, and you knew they didn't drop. And so you had to, like, hit it, and it would drop. You've put a lot of stuff up here, but has the Holy Spirit shoved the heart of your life to where it hits that Coke machine, and it drops the coins, and you have refreshment? Or are you just storing up coins thinking that that's what it takes to become a Christian? Has the Holy Spirit rattled your cage? Has he shaken the machine of your heart to drop the knowledge down to where it matters? This is hell if it stays here. This is hope, peace, life eternally if it's here. There's a form of godliness that's denying its power. We've got to be very careful. I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm asking if you, like a little three-year-old kid, believe that Jesus is the greatest superhero of all time and you trust him. Do you believe? Call out to God for salvation. Call out to him as in Mark 9, 24 saying, I believe, but I've got doubts and I want you to help my unbelief. Oh, what a beautiful prayer. For while we were still weak, remember, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still rebels and haters and doubters and skeptics and atheists, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God for 
while we, if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Again, brought back into relationship with God. We are reconciled to God through Jesus, no longer alienated, no longer separated because of our sin. You remember on the cross just prior to his death, right before he said it's finished, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you become alienated to me? Why are we separated? You know why? You. He was being separated so you could be brought back, so that you could be reconciled. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Angie Ferris is why. You are why, if you would just believe. Never experiencing that separation again reconciled back to God because he was separated from God on your behalf for you. But do you believe it? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, you'll be saved. It's not complicated. For with the heart one believes and is made righteous before God, is justified, declared righteous before God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And there's no difference or distinction between Jews and Greeks. This is the same Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But do you believe it? If you believe, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But do you believe and are you believing? And are you surrounding yourself with folks who are believing? You know, in, in Mark chapter 1 and 14, we learn that Jesus, uh, he came into Galilee. This is the beginning of his ministry. And he, he was proclaiming the gospel of God. And he was saying, the time is right. The time is fulfilled. We're here. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says two words, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Jesus was asked by some religious cats in John chapter 6 or 10. Sorry, I can't remember exactly off the top of my mind. But they say, what must we, do, we be doing to be doing the works of God? We want to do something. What do we do to be doing God's work? You know what Jesus said back to them? Had nothing to do with the sacrificial system. Had nothing to do with church attendance. Had nothing to do with the clothes that you wore, the tattoos you had, or the language that you had. He said, if you want to be doing the works of God, believe me. He actually said in the ESV, believe in the one whom he has sent. And then in John 3.18, we're told that whoever believes is not condemned. Do you believe? Earlier in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. And a voice came from heaven, and it said this, You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. If you believe, the same thing is forever and always, now and throughout eternity, constantly being spoken over you by God. You can know that you have peace with God. You can know that he's pleased with you. If you believe you've got your sins have been forgiven and you're living under God's constant approval because of the finished work of Jesus, you're never able to mess it up knowing that God is always happy with you because of Jesus. Believe this. Why, Why not believe this? This is fantastic. You know, during his perfect life, Jesus conquered sin. He overcame sin. On Good Friday, he overcame the penalty of our sin, absorbing the wrath as us on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose, overcoming death, giving us life, eternal life, forever. Believe that. Believe In the name of Jesus Christ, believe this. It's, don't leave here and go work harder and try to give God a better record. 
right? Hell is full of all of that. That's terrible. This moralism, that is not the gospel. The gospel says God gives you a perfect record, even though you couldn't even cross the start line. He gives you the perfect record of record time finishing this race because Jesus did all the hard work for you. This is the gospel. You don't work hard for him. He's worked hard for you. It's not you give to him. It's he's given to you. And anything that you do as a Christian the rest of your life is in response to his favor. It's not to earn a single ounce of any goodness from him. You've got constantly goodness coming from him all the time. All the time. And we get to remember now through communion the hard work of Jesus. That's what this is. We have, we've got bread and we've got juice. The bread is symbolic of the life of Christ that he lived for you. Hard work. Perfect life. The red liquid of juice or wine is symbolic of the hard work of Jesus through dying in your place so that you don't have to. Hard work. And he said this, as often as you take this, remember me. So we're going to remember Jesus as we take this bread and as we drink this juice or wine. So how do you become in Christ? How can he be your savior? How can all this good news be true for you? You humble yourself and you believe it. You believe this to be true, that he's God and that he did what was necessary to save you. You trust and you hope in Jesus and his work, not your own. You confess to God that you're a sinner that needs a saving and that you believe him. And you ask God for faith and the ability to believe. You ask God for mercy and grace and hold open your hands because he will give it to you. And you ask him for faith and belief and he will respond and he will forgive you of your sin. He will. To those who don't believe in the room, those who aren't Christians yet, in the name of Jesus Christ, believe. Those in the room who are Christians who've been made alive, family, my brothers and sisters forever, I invite you to come and remember the one in whom we believe. And may we all believe. May we trust and hope in him. Let me pray for our time of communion now. Father, I ask that you add your special blessing upon this time of remembering your hard work for us. And we acknowledge that these are the gifts from God and the gifts of God for the people of God. And we get to proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Spirit, thank you for working our hearts to make us alive. May the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of remembering, this time of communion. And may he remain with us always. Amen. You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.